0: Well, good morning. Find your Bible if you have it with you and turn to Genesis chapter 1. After the first service, I received a number of comments. I'll share them with you. One said, That was way over my head. One said, That was really good, made me think. One said, I'm so glad you took the time to tell us that this morning. What I'll tell you about the sermon this morning before I begin is uh, you need to engage with me from the beginning. You need to stay engaged throughout so that you will come out on the other end of it knowing where you've been on this trip. Uh, Some weeks I know when I preach, you can listen a little, sleep a little wander in your thoughts a little come back a little and by the time I'm done you still have a fairly generally good idea as to where I've been not today Um, I'm not trying to be unnecessarily deep I'm not trying to be unnecessarily profound I am trying to lay down a basis for the remainder of this series which will move very quickly for instance this week we're going to deal with two verses. We've already been in them. Uh, next week we're going to deal with uh, 29 verses. Uh, so we're going to move much more rapidly once we get through this. But there are three basic concepts that I want us to get as we look at Genesis chapter 1 so that it becomes foundational to everything else. The book means the beginning. And in saying that, I want to say to you it's very important that we understand that what we're dealing with here in Genesis chapter 1 is the beginning. You miss this, you won't have a good foundation. You miss this, you won't have the anchors you need to give the explanations that are going to be asked from you of various things that you believe. You miss this, And you really don't know how come you believe any of the rest of the Bible. That's a pretty big statement, isn't it? But it's true. So let's bow for prayer and ask God to guide us before we actually look into the text. Now, Lord, I lay down that basis, those parameters, so that everyone here in the room will be able to stay focused on what it is we're going to talk about today. Thank you that you've given this to us. And Lord, because there are some difficult concepts that we have to wrestle with, some questions that people ask us that are not easy to answer, too often we pass too quickly over them. Lord, my generation and older, we say we believe this, but we haven't taught it to the generations that have followed us. And as a result, most of those generations, most of the people in those generations have no confidence, have no understanding of why this is important. So would you help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. We've read it so many times you may already have it memorized, but the text that we're looking at this morning is Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. What do you believe about origins? Do you know that you do believe something about origins? You say, I don't think about it. But you do believe something about origins. What is the origin of the universe? What is the origin of the earth? What is the origin of the plants, the animals, of people? Now, to many of us have been told that all through our school experience that there's no credible explanation for origins outside of evolution. In fact, that the account of creation in the Bible is religion, and because of separation of church and state, a red herring. We cannot discuss such things in school. I submit to you, the separation of church and state came as a result of two Baptist preachers pushing at the beginning of the formation of this nation to have it included in the basic tenets of what we believe. It was not the creation of atheists, nor even of some of the deists, that we're at the foundation of our country. That aside, the truth is that we as Christians are left in a spot where we sometimes feel as if our hands are bound, that we have nothing that we are able to say to this whole argument, that we must just let it go on. And as a result of that, the statements of those who believe against the Bible have become louder, stronger, More more vociferous, and with the result that evolution has become known as a fact rather than the theory that it is. Now, the argument is going to be made to me well, you have to realize then that if you believe in creation, it is also a theory. And I'll submit that that's true. You're going to have to choose which theory you're going to believe. But you're, you need to do it, really, on the basis of the fact that you have taken the opportunity, the time, to do the research that is necessary, and it had better not be like so much research that is done on the part of Christians. We read only our side. And then we argue our arguments. And of course we win. Or the view of the evolutionist who reads only their side argues their arguments, and believes that they win. The truth is, if we are going to be faithful to the scientific model as much as we can be, then we need to research both sides. There are basically three views of origins. Now, I'm going to quote a bunch of stuff this morning, and this is where some people felt as if it went over their heads. I don't really think it should necessarily go over your heads, especially if you follow. The first view that I want us to consider is the naturalistic evolutionary view. And what does natural evolution say? Naturalistic evolution, that is the theory of evolution, is a belief in the development of the species from the first living cell to the present diversity of plant and animal species. It proceeds in response to natural process without intervention from God or other deities. So what does this view suggest? This view really suggests that the universe came into existence by natural selection. The current view that is most popularly held is Big Bang. The universe started in a Big Bang, a natural phenomena, not involving God in any way. Another evolutionary source describes the Big Bang as the cosmological model of the initial conditions and subsequent development of the universe. The term Big Bang generally refers to the idea that the universe has expanded from a primordial, hot and dense initial condition at some infinite time in the past, currently estimated to be at about 13.7 billion years ago, and continuing to expand today. They say as they look through their telescopes into outer space that they can see that, in fact, the universe is expanding. Might it be? Yes. But the reality is, We aren't as confident of that as they state, and the reason why is because they may only be able to be seeing, because they are getting better telescopes, what already existed, what appears to them as being an expanding thing, regardless. Further, they state that the uh, uh, coalescence of the earth, the development of its crust, the appearance of life, the development of new species through evolution, are all viewed as having proceeded strictly by blind natural processes. Evolution is the belief that most productive science results when scientists, listen, assume that all events in the universe happen as a result of perfectly natural forces. Another way of expressing this is that scientists assume that the events that they are studying did not occur as a result of the miracles created by God. This is from their literature. I am not putting the word assume in there. They say this, This is a sensible approach because if God regularly interfered with natural processes and performed miracles, then there would be no processes that could be studied scientifically. About a decade, a little more than a decade ago, Time magazine carried a feature article entitled Science and Original Sin. It was written by a gentleman named Robert Wright in which he said, As a story of creation, the book of Genesis long, long ago crumbled under the weight of science, notably Darwin's theory of natural selection. Now you remember that Charles Darwin wrote a book. What you may not remember is Charles Darwin grew up in a preacher's home. What you may not understand is that early in his life he totally rejected the Bible as a matter of course because he did not want to submit to the authority of God. It put him on a a quest in life to do research, which he did as it relates to what was written in The Origin of Species. After that book came out, for many, many years, it was considered the Bible of evolution. As evolution has developed since Charles Darwin has gone, they have come to the place where it is no longer considered a Bible. In fact, many of the things that Charles Darwin wrote have been debunked, have been rejected as proof of evolution. And yet the writer Robert Wright tells us That it was because of what Charles Darwin wrote that we can actually say that the Genesis record has crumbled. So, something that is no longer considered true by science is the proof that the Bible isn't accurate. Last time I looked, that is an illogical argument. And I submit that to you to say to you that what really needs to happen, and I'm not going to get just on the evolutionist here, I'm going to get on those of us who claim to believe the Bible, that we need to do the research. We need to become careful students. We need to understand the strength of the arguments that are against us. And the strength of the arguments that are for us because in actual fact we are oftentimes times guilty of doing exactly the same thing assuming that my arguments right therefore yours is wrong and as a result of that I can win the argument doesn't work that way the second view is theistic evolution view now what is theistic evolution theistic evolution or evolutionary creationism are similar concepts that assert that classical religious teachings about God are compatible with modern scientific understanding about biological evolution. In short, theistic evolutionists believe that there is a God. That God is the creator of the material universe and by consequence of all human life within. And that biological evolution is simply a natural process within that creation. Evolution, according to this view, is simply a tool that God employed to develop human life. Thus, from the pen of theistic evolutionists, we have that description. Now, this view is used to accommodate the lengthy time frame that has been estimated by naturalistic evolution it is to try to bring both sides of this argument together and allow some place for a person who says I think there is a God to find a place where they can feel comfortable now how does theistic evolution seek to prove this view well typically the way that this is done is in what is called the gap theory now I know that in the development of all of the discussions of the gap theory uh, there are views that do not look at it quite the way that I'm going to look at it But what I can say to you is Those are more modern things and they take Rather some curious ways of describing What is meant by that So I'm going to go back to the traditional way in which it is explained for us In fact, you may be here this morning With a study Bible in your hands That actually teaches the gap theory in the gap theory, the primary thing that happens is the theory attempts to harmonize the Genesis account of creation with the theory of evolution. It is most often popularized in such study Bibles as the Schofield Reference Bible, the Dake Annotated Reference Bible, or the Newberry Reference Bible. The focus is on these two verses that are before us, Genesis 1.1 and Genesis 1.2. It is proposed in this particular view that there is a gap of unspecified time between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Let me read it again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Gap. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. For many years, this was believed to be a really good way to handle the whole discussion of the difference between naturalistic evolution and biblical creationism. In fact, and I'll use the name of one gentleman that you may have heard of, at least some of you, Uh, I have quite a bit of respect for this man, but on this issue, I totally disagree. He wrote in Genesis in the beginning, it's John R. Rice, Genesis 1 1 tells of an original creation of the world in the ageless past. While Genesis 1 2 tells of a divine judgment and ruin that ca- came on creation lasting for millions and billions of years and accounts for the strata of the earth, the fossils, and the coal beds to fit in with the theories of scientists that the rest of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 tell of a restoration of the ruined earth which added six days of creation of animals and man. So that is the view, but it's not a tenable view. There are a variety of reasons why, both in science and in the Bible. If I take the scientific side, I realize that the geologic column is oftentimes used to try to prove that naturalistic evolution is true and that the Bible is false. The challenge with the geologic column is that it is laid down in such a way that we believe that certain fossils that are found there and so on uh, fit into a certain category. They've been, they've been dated through carbon-14 and a variety of other means. And as a result of that, they have been able to establish that this particular period versus that particular period is so many million years old, this one only so many thousand years old. The problem with that is you would expect that to be universally true. What I mean by that is what you would see in the geologic column maybe here in the United States of America would be the same as what you might see in a geologic column you would find in Indonesia. But that's not accurate. Things that are only a few thousand years ago find themselves in the wrong geologic uh, part of the column. I only tell you that to say that When we have theories, out of those theories, we can make implications. But those implications are not necessarily provable. And with that being true, we need to be very, very cautious. Then there's thirdly, the creationist view. And I will come back a little bit to what we're talking about here in The Gap in a few moments. The creationist view is that God created everything that God created everything from nothing, that God spoke it into existence, and that when it came into existence, it was the way that he desired for it to be, at least at that point in time, that he did not use an evolutionary process to bring it to the place that he wanted. He created it by his word. Psalm 33, verses 6 through 9 tells us. Verse 9 says, For he spoke... And it came to be He commanded And it stood firm In Psalm 148 3-5 He created it by his command The last part of verse number 5 says He commanded And they were created He created people and gave them breath Isaiah 42 in verse 5 The last part of the verse says Who gives breath to the people on it And spirit to those who walk in it And then in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1, he reminds us that what we need to do is we need to remember him. Remember also your creator, he says, In the days of your youth before the evil days come, and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. So let's do a little bit of playing here. Everyone here today has a view of origins how things came to be. There's a fourth view. Some of you may have come in this morning saying, I have no idea, so I don't have any view. That's a view. Unfortunately, it's the least tenable of all the views. I'm closer to the evolutionist on that one than I am to you. Or maybe than you are to me. What we need to do, though, is we literally need to take the time to do the research all of us have been told that one view is scientific and the other is religious bluntly that's not really true both are a matter of faith theistic evolution doesn't wash at any level I think scientifically or biblically naturalistic evolution is a black hole with nothing emerging containing any hope The only true hope, I believe, is found in God in his creation and the salvation he provides. But you can hear me say that. You need to prove that to yourself through proper study. A second major thing that I want us to look at quickly this morning is this. God gives us a summary statement of creation at the beginning in verse number 2. How does God uh, describe his creation? Well, he uses some very interesting words. He says that the earth was without form. And then he says that the earth was void. So let's take a moment and look at that. The earth was without form. Now some debate that the Hebrew word translated was means became. Now in its distance in the uh, in the, uh In the Hebrew listing for these words, became is one of the definitions. The way that they list it uh, in the lexicons is from strongest to weakest, became is the weakest. Okay, so if you're going to take that one, you're going down the line beyond some other words which better will give it to us. The word without form in its stronger forms means emptiness, not ruin not chaos, not confusion, emptiness. Now please excuse the rather crude illustration, but I take the top off of this uh, communion set, and I look inside this top. What will you tell me about it? It is what? Is that chaos? Oh, some of you have decided you've checked out already, or you're not going to get led into a trap. (laughs) I'm not trying to trap you. Is it empty? Is it chaos? I mean, if we look at this two years from now, assuming that nothing falls on it or does anything to it, it's going to look exactly the same. There's nothing chaotic about it at all. It is logical to understand the word from that point of view, especially when we come to the second word. The earth was void. And the word void means, guess what? Empty. It doesn't mean wasteland. It doesn't mean desolate. Rather, it means undeveloped. So, what we discover is that it is empty and undeveloped. So, God is giving us a summary statement. He's saying, I spoke. It's coming into existence and it is empty, and it is undeveloped. Then he goes one further step in describing it. He says to us that darkness was over the face of the deep. And the idea in darkness is, of course, the absence of light. But what it really can mean is this, obscurity. In other words, if we were there and we weren't, and we were to look at exactly what it was that God had done, we would not be able to predict what was going to happen next, because we do not have the mechanism to do that. Henry Morris gives us a uh, um, paraphrase, if you will, of verses 1 and 2. Listen to it. It will help us to understand this. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, or space and matter. And the matter so created was at first unformed and uninhabited. So what does God say he was about to do? Look at it in the text again. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. First thing, it's the Holy Spirit that's being spoken about here who is going to be active at this point in time in the creation that is going to take place. We are told that he is hovering over something. The southern preacher said he was hoovering over something. When I think of hoovering, I think of using a hoover vacuum cleaner. That will become significant here in a moment. The Hebrew word for hovering means moving with emotion, brooding. I have no doubt that when somebody vacuums the house using their hoover, Uh, That they move with emotion, wanting to get the dirt out. Brooding over getting the job done. But that isn't what it's really about here. He is affected by what is happening. He is ready to take action. And where is he taking the action? Over the face of the waters. When God created, first of all, he created as a mass of water. Interestingly enough, if you do the science, you discover that our world today is made up of more water than land. God chose when he separated these things to make it more water than land. It's like you and me. We are made up of a massive amount of water in our makeup. Now, how did God create our universe and our world? He did it as he spoke in an orderly way. It wasn't random. It wasn't by chance. Things didn't just start to become and then he said, oh, that didn't go where I wanted it to go. Well, I guess I'm just going to have to let it go and see what it becomes. And by and by it became a human being. Not according to what we're going to study in the remainder of the chapter, but we see that it was a process listen to me here evolution and Bible believing Christians don't choose to believe it the same way but intersect in terms of what they see happening a process is taking place and we're going to discover what that process looks like evolution says it takes millions and billions of years Bible believers think that it took much, much less time. So we come again to the question of uh, origins. What do you believe? Can you, can you give a reasonable explanation for what you believe? Do you need to go back and kind of walk your way through this? Let me break down this audience this morning. People my age and older generally have believed that God created the world. The reason that we have believed that is we have been taught that. We have accepted the biblical account of creation. But those who have come behind us have been taught something different. We have assumed that because we believe creation that those who come behind us will also believe creation. There are three generations that follow me. And in each generation, fewer and fewer accept the biblical account of creation. They have dismissed it as a bunch of fables. They have been told that there is a better scientific way of understanding this. They have become unilateral in their thinking and I'm not holding them specifically responsible, at least not yet. Because what they've been told is all the evidence says that another view is true and we have allowed them to go on and on in this position never realizing that the outcome is going to be that they do not believe the Bible they can't and the reason why is because if this is not accurate what we have in the front end of our Bibles How will we possibly know what is accurate in the rest of the Bible? I think that it's time that we as Christians take the time to study carefully. Don't be like one of my friends. I challenged him one time. He came up to me after I had been speaking and he said, I don't believe what you said. Not one word of it. I said to him, Oh, what exactly don't you believe? So he told me. I said, uh, have you really studied it? Yes, I have. I said, I don't think so. He says, I've read this and this and this. I said, that's all on one side of the subject. I said, why don't you read this and this and this as well? I said, better still, why don't you go back and read through this section of the Bible which dealt with the particular question. He said, okay, I'll do it. So he came back the next week. Said I did, and I'm I'm still right. You're wrong. I said you're a tomfool. What do you mean? I said you're you're just past stupid. I said, whether you agree with me or not is not the issue, but to tell me that you could possibly have studied that entire subject in its entirety in the section that I showed you in the the other sources that I gave you and compare it with what you believe right now is not a possible thing. You can't do it in one week. I said, I want you to go back and I want you to study it very carefully. And then when you're done, I want you to come back and I want you to tell me I'm wrong. Or that I'm right. I didn't hear from him for three months. He came back one day and he said, oh, by the way, he said, I finished my study a long time ago. I was too ashamed to come and tell you. You're right. Now, can I say to you, it's not that I'm right. You should not take what you believe because I believe that. You need to do the research for yourself. Listen to me. If you profess to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's fine for you to start from the basis I believe the Bible. But you're going to have to relate to what others have said that don't believe the Bible. It's the only intelligent thing to do to be able to establish. Now, it's not, if you are faithful to your study of the word, it's not going to, it's not going to destroy your faith. It's going to make it stronger. Because, you see, what you believe about beginnings is foundational to absolutely everything else you believe. Oh, well, I just believe in Jesus and his death on the cross. So do I. But I can assure you that if we decided to have a point-counterpoint argument, you believe in Jesus just because, and I decide to take the view of somebody who doesn't believe the Bible, I'll win the argument. Not because that would be the right thing, but because you've got nothing to stand on. Your foundation needs to be firm. And it can be. And it should be. And then we have something to change the world that is around us. Let's bow in prayer as we conclude. And again, I recognize that this, has been a, this series has been a teaching series. I recognize that today, of all of the sermons that I have preached to you, has been filled with a lot of information that you've got to chew on. It will get better. It will move faster in the remainder of the series. But I think now we have a foundation on which to build the rest that we're going to talk about. God, in this audience today, there are people who are probably thinking, I never ever heard anything like that before. <laughs> or there may even be some who are sitting here saying, I wish I hadn't come today. I didn't want to hear that. But I'm glad they're here and I'm glad that they've heard it and I pray that you'll help them to think carefully to do the research. If they agree with me, to do the research well. If they don't agree with me, to do the research well. So that they can come to the place where they can give a genuine reason for the hope that is within them. Would you watch over us during this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.